We're going to be at a back at 1 Corinthians here, and um, Brother Austin uh, Duncan will take a break. I think he's preaching out of the Psalms next week, but we're going to be at a, a back into our Church Matters series, and we've been talking about unity, right? This has been the big thing of Paul in Corinthians, in the first chunk of Corinthians. We're at, we'll be at a 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 13. And today, Paul's talking about leadership, having a proper view of leadership, and that leadership is about servanthood and serving one another. This is what a leader is, according to the scriptures. And we need to have a proper view of what God's servants look like so that we can learn and what it looks like so we can know what to look for, so we can learn how to even grow in our own servanthood as well. Children, the key word today, if you're here or at home, is servant. All right, servant. This is the hand signal, servant. I'm serving, okay? This is the key word. So as, as you go, listen to the servant now, children, let's make sure we get clued into learning how to sit under preaching, how to learn from the preaching of God's word. So if you're able to, please rise. We'll be reading out of 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 13. We do this to honor God. We do this to honor God and say thank you, God, for the treasure that rests in our hands, either in paper like I have or through your devices. 1 Corinthians 4, this is God's word. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Verse 6, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. Why, Paul? So that in, in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant, prideful, in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. Verse 9, For I think, I think God has exhibited us, apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil working with our hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. Finishing up here, verse 13. When we are slandered, we try to con conci conciliate. We have become as the scum of the, earth, of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. I pray, Lord, that your spirit, your spirit will take over. Allow the preaching of your word to be preached with power and conviction. I pray your word will be planted deep into our hearts so that we will love your son, Jesus Christ, more. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. 
Amen, amen. Building a family, a leadership team, a company, an athletic team, as a first importance is this. What is the most important thing as you build a family, a team, a group, is personnel, right? You have to have the right people on board. This is what helps. I remember last week as, as Brother Ron Cowell shared his testimony about how future father-in-law Ken Louie was kind of exhorting him, saying, hey, this is what I'm looking for in a husband for my daughter. And I think any, every father in here was convicted, like exhorted, like, yeah, that's right, Ken, go for it, right? You know, and all of us younger people who are maybe thinking about getting married were thinking, all right, is this what I think too? I love that. I love that exhortation, Brother Ken. Thank you. Yesterday, we had a panel of uh, people interviewing a couple candidates to fill in their pastor of admin position. So this is great. This is great. This is what we're doing, you know, and, 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 and what we're looking for is leaders that fit the profile that God has for us out of 1 Corinthians 4. This is a leadership lesson here, Right? And as we're moving towards eldership, pray. Pray that our church will be able to identify men who fit this profile. So the sermon title is the profile of God's servant. And profile, what does that mean? This is what we're looking for. I remember when we were constructing our teams back in the day, when I was coaching, we used to go to NFL Combine. And we had a profile in mind and what we look for from people. The players, we, we, the, the coach will send us out. This is what you're looking for. This is the type of characteristics we were looking for in the players. And, of course, we had physical characteristics like for the cornerbacks. Basically, these are the people that covered the wide receivers, uh, sisters. And we needed people who are long. We like tall uh, coverage people. We like people with long arms. We like people to be able to run, people who could catch the ball well. But the bigger thing that we look for is this. What do they have inside? This is the harder thing. In some ways, people can see what, how big or how fast somebody is. Anyone could tell that. But the difference is what is in here. And so today, we are going to look at God's profile for his servants. Specifically talking about leaders. But in general, God's servants are all over the church. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this. For, for many of us know this scripture. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he, God, may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. This is what God is looking for. God is looking for some choice men and women to serve in the local church. This is what he's looking for. Age, we've got young people here. We got older people here. We got people, everybody in between. Age is not the criteria. Knowledge is not the criteria. Experience is not the criteria. But God was looking for men and women who are completely His. Right? So, my question to us today, whether here or on the live stream, is this Would God draft you? Right? Think about this. Would God actually say, I want this person to serve in the local church for me? So let's learn what God is looking for in his servants. So what is God looking for in his servants? Let's go to point number one. 
God's servants, they know their role. Fill in the blank. They're slaves of Christ. Slaves of Christ is the fill in the blank. If you're taking notes on the app, that's a great app to take notes on. But if you're just writing down paper, God's servants know that they are slaves for Christ. Let me read 1 Corinthians here. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. Who's us, Paul, talking about? Us is talking about Paul, Apollos, and Cephas. These are the leaders of the church. So how did Paul see himself? This is important that we understand these words now. This is going to give us, uh, take us deeper into God's word here. He calls himself as servants of Christ. Now this word servant is not the typical word in the original language. The tip of, in the original language, this word is called huperetes. Huperetes literally means under rower, right? Right, Keith? Under rower. Under rower. What does that mean, pastor? In the biblical times, 2,000 years ago, in the Greeks, the Greeks had these boats called triremes. These, the Greek navy had these huge ships called triremes. And you know what they're fueled by? Not by nuclear power. Not by steam, but by manpower, right? And these under rowers are, in essence, slaves captured, and they're third-level galley slaves. They're at the lowest parts of the boat, and their job to, was to perform the most menial task on the ship. Their job was simply to grab hold of the oar that they're assigned to or chained to, perhaps, and to row when the captain of the ship said to row. That is what Paul uses to describe himself. I am an under rower of Christ. And this word under rower would take on the form of as one under authority later on. But there, this is a good word picture how this has this word come out, came about. So Paul sees himself as an under rower. In Acts 26, 16, we learn how Paul learned this concept, perhaps. Acts 26, 16, Christ appointed Paul to be his minister, or the original word, under-roar. Jesus is the one that said, you're going to be my under-roar, Paul. So no wonder Paul uses this to describe servants and apostles of Christ. This is what we are. We're under-roars. We're given our job description by Christ himself. So when you think about being a leader, do you think about that? I'm that man or woman chained to an oar, and my job, I might not even see the light of day. My job is to row when I'm told to row. That is how Paul saw himself. Now, what was Paul's order to row? What was his order to row? And right here in verse 1, it says this, to steward the mysteries of God. To steward the mysteries of God. Steward is someone who manages something for somebody else. Paul didn't own the mysteries of God. Paul was entrusted with the mysteries of God. Right? Just like if, we, if you're a, a, a sitter or something. When we had uh, kids who were younger, we used to hire sitters, and they would watch them, and we go, Charlotte and I would go out. When we came home, we totally expected our children to be in good shape, right? We told them to be, be fed, perhaps in bed when they're supposed to be in bed, and we, they were stewarding our children for two, three hours, we, Paul has been entrusted with the mysteries of God. What does that mean? The revealed truths in the New Testament of who Christ is in the gospel. Paul was entrusted with this treasure. He had knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. 
and how one is able to be in fellowship with God through the message of the gospel. Paul saw this as a treasure. This is not my treasure. This is God's treasure that was entrusted to me. I need to take care of it. Do you see yourself as an underwater of Christ? Is that how you see yourself? You know, oftentimes we go, yes, I'm, I'm a servant. I'm here to serve Christ. But do you see yourself as an under rower? That takes on a whole different dimension, doesn't it? So when Charlotte asked me to wash the dishes, you know, it's like, goodness gracious, how can I say no, right? Do you see yourself as an under rower of Christ? Pastors are all under the sanctification process too. When you see yourself as an underroar of Christ, it's a Christ-centered uh, uh, existence that we have. Jesus is Lord. That, that, that's how you describe what it means to be a Christian. Christ Jesus is my Lord. And to say, perhaps you've been, some, been, someone's been asking you to serve in the church, or, and, and, and you know this is what the Lord has for you because it matches your giftings and your passions and your training background, and you've got wide-open opportunities— no Lord is like an oxymoron, right? No Lord. Right? So this is where an under rower is basically pleasing, trying to please his captain. That's all he's there to do. Now, I know we're talking about apostles and leaders of the church, but what treasures has God entrusted you with? If you're in Christ, you've been entrusted with some kind of a gift to minister to the church family. Right? Some are more visible than others. <laughs> Some are more darker in darker places. You're rowing in darker places. What has God entrusted you with to build up the culture of discipleship here at Evergreen SGB? Think about it. I don't know. Some are more obvious than others, right? But pray and think, Lord, how have you gifted me? What training have you given me? What opportunities have you given me? What relationships, what emeralds have you given me to move discipleship forward in our church family? To point number one, a, a servant of Christ knows that he's a slave of Christ. Okay, what else is God looking for in his servants? Point number two, they know their goal. They know their goal, which is faithfulness to Christ. Verse two which is verse 2 here. It says this, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or faithful, reliable. I remember as we're evaluating players and coaches, the best ability is what? Guess what it is? Availability, okay? Can I count on them? Availability. Can I count on them to show up on game day? Can I count on them to play injured? All right, or is this person an injury-prone player? All the talent, all the gifts, but they're always hurt. They can't play. That, that doesn't help the team. Or if they do get hurt, can they play through pain? Or certain nicks and little uh, nicks and pains, no, I can't play today. What? We're looking for guys who are going for it. As long as they could do it, they're going for it. Availability. So God is looking for those who are going to be faithful. This is what the standard of success is. It isn't even about the results. How many people I lead to Christ, how many people I could gather, how, how, how I'm received. Are you faithful? I mean, I love this because this is what gives me a lot of peace. 
Because no matter what we're doing here, as, 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 as for, just for my mindset, I just want to be faithful. Remember what the Word of God said earlier in uh, chapter 2, or chapter 3, excuse me. Some plant, some water, but who causes the growth? Who causes the growth? God. God. It's up to God anyway. Our job is to plant. Our job is to water in, in, in the way that God's called you to do, and you trust God to, water, to grow, cause the growth. This is how it works. This gives me a lot of peace of mind. This should give you a lot of peace of mind. Remember this, going back to the under rower. He was focused on his oar. He wasn't focused on the other guy's oar. This is my oar. I need to move my oar, right? And you know what he was focused on? Pleasing the captain of the ship. He was consumed. He was possessed by, I need to please Christ, the captain of the ship. And all this underwater cared about is this. Did I row and am I helping the ship move in that direction that the captain wants to go to? I'm not the captain. Christ is the captain, okay? If you were wondering, I'm not the captain. I'm, on the, I'm holding my oar right next to you, okay? And roaring ma- like mad if I can, right? Christ tells us that we're going towards discipleship, the Great Commission. We've been preaching about this. We've been talking about this for the last several months now. Matthew 28, it's clear as day. This is where the Lord is taking us. Some plant, some water, but God causes the world. Faithfulness is the goal of the servant of God. Let's go to the third point here. What else is God looking for in his servants? Point number three, they know their judge. That they are examined by Christ. Christ is our judge. Point number three, Christ is our judge. To have proper focus, a steward must be clear on who he is examined by. That, because if you're not clear, you're trying to different people. When we're not clear on who, who judges us, we're going to be caught looking left and right, up and down, like, okay, is this ha- making you happy? Is this making you happy? We need to know that Christ is our judge. Let me read verse 3 here. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you, talking about the Corinthian church, people, man, or by any human court or day, right? Because Paul was being criticized. 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, this is his, his letters are weighty and strong, right? He could, he's a good writer, these Corinthians were evaluating him as. But his personal appearance, unimpressive. He's just some guy. Right? He probably didn't look like much. Right? And then he says, his speech, contemptible. What is it? Worthless. Irrelevant. What he's talking about is not exciting to us. So they were judging Paul. Paul was being judged, and basically what guarded his heart is this. Man does not judge me. Man doesn't judge me. Now, Paul wasn't shying away from critique or try to get improvement, but he's talk, he, what he was talking about, his esteem as an apostle, well, didn't hinge upon what other people thought, right? He goes, I don't, even, I don't even examine myself. Paul will go on. It's like, you know what? I don't even allow the outside to examine. I don't even judge myself. He goes, because for I'm conscious of nothing against myself, right? Paul saying, I'm not even acquitted by this because Paul might be too high in himself. Paul might be too hard on himself. 
Paul might be too biased against some, you know, our own selves. We might have an overinflated view of ourselves, or some of us are too hard on ourselves. We don't want to even go off of that. Man's judgment, including our own, is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. My conscience is clear, but it doesn't matter. Have you been judged by others before? Of course you have. That was the easy thought that came to my mind. Of course you've been judged by people before. Have people looked at you and judged you as a parent, judge you as a worker, judge you on how you spend your time, your money? Of course you have. Of course you have. Have you been misjudged in those judgments? Of course you have. This is where we find comfort. Man knows in part, in part, but God knows the whole. God knows everything. And during this time, I mean, it's the most opinionated time in the history of our world. I mean, with social media, everyone feels like they have a right to have an opinion. They want to have, make sure their opinion is heard, right? This is that day. This is the day where it, it affected Paul in his day, but 2,000 years later, it's even more rampant. This is that day. And Paul's words mean everything to us right now, to those of us who are being judged. We had something called Tell the Truth Monday. Tell the, what is Tell the Truth Monday, Rocky? Tell the Truth Monday was this. It was the day after the game, and in essence, we got the film, we watched the game, and we told the truth to our players, to our coaches, how we actually played. Because guess what? In the stadium, there's thousands of people, there's millions of people watching. They may think you played a great game, right? Or they may think you played a horrible game. Everyone has an opinion. The fans have an opinion. The, the, the commentators have an opinion. The agents have an opinion. Everyone has an opinion. But tell the truth Monday was that day of reckoning where you showed up in a dark room with a bright projector. Back when I was in high school, or it, was the, it was the basketball gym. I remember that. Coming in. And all that was there was, there was this football, your own team and the film. And no matter what was said to you prior, great job, or you, or, or you got booze, the coach will flip on the switch. <laughs> After I became a player, that became my role. But the coach will flip on the switch. And you know what he had in his hand? He had the clicker. And on that clicker, you know what he had? He had fast forward, which you, you hope he'd do more often. There was rewind. There was slow motion. There was stop. And what button was used constantly was the slow motion button and the rewind button. Did you see that block? Did you see that? How'd you step right there? Did you do what you're supposed to do? How'd you play? Did you play hard? And not only that, he had a laser pointer, as technology proved, to point that out specifically to everybody there. And in that moment, I remember as a young person, I only wanted to please one person, and that was that guy with a clicker in his hand, the coach. In that moment, because all I wanted to hear was, good job, Rocky. That's all I wanted to hear, because anyone else, they didn't know. Right there was the truth. Well, Bible says, but the one who examines me is the Lord. The captain's judgment is what matters, period. The captain knows everything. God gets it right He's not going to misevaluate us. 
God will choose, based on his discernment and what he's shown, who gets rewarded. Have you been faithful? This is not about man's judgment. This is about God's judgment. The Lord is the judge. On that day, I believe, according to Revelation 20, now it's not going to be in a dark room with you and God alone. It's going to be us and God and the entire church. Every spoken word, every deed that was done, every deed that wasn't done, every thought that was crossing through our mind is going to show up on that, on that screen in that heavenly realm. And everyone's going to know. And you're praying like mad. Lord, I hope you say, well done, good and faithful slave. It wasn't perfect, but it, you were faithful. None of us are going to have a perfect game. <laughs> no, there's no question. Me included. But will we hear, well done and good and per, uh, faithful slave. The Bible says that he will even disclose the motives of your heart, not, not even your actions. God will look into your heart and what motivated you to do your good deeds even. Based on that, God would determine, was it gold, silver, precious stone? Or was it wood, hay, and straw to get burned up? God will judge us. Well done, good and faithful. Now, this is the truth that liberates us. I just want to, this may sound like a challenging portion of the scriptures, but this get, fires me up because this liberates us from the judgment of man. We don't have to fear man anymore. We don't have to worry about what other people think. Of course, we care, but we don't have to be controlled by these things anymore. This is one of the most liberating truths that sets us free from the fear of man and gets us consumed on the captain of the ship himself, Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad he's the one that didn't abdicate his judgment? Aren't you glad he's the one that's going to judge us? Because he knows everything. And by the way, he's the one who died for us as well. He paid dearly to have us. Let's move on here. Point number four. What, is, what else is God looking for in his servants? They know their place. And fill in the blank, we have the humility of Christ. The humility of Christ. It is utterly, hear me now, church, it is utterly impossible to be a faithful servant of Christ if you're arrogant. Impossible. Because, remember what God says, he judges the heart. So if you're doing it, prideful people are all about themselves. Arrogant people are, are about themselves. It's utterly impossible to please God and to be a faithful servant without some level of humility. So Paul addresses the issue of arrogance to the Corinthians. Verse 6, pride is the enemy. He goes, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. He talks about what Paul and Apollos are about. He calls them farmers, builders, and right now he calls them slaves of Christ, underers of Christ, so that in us you may, not, you may learn not to exceed what is written. Don't go beyond what is written, so that not, no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one another. Remember what was happening in Corinth? 
He goes, I'm about Paul. I am with Apollos. Basically, everyone's trying to separate themselves. I want to separate from the, from the pack. I want to feel superior to you based on who I was hitched with. Who is my pastor? Who's my teacher? Who's my go-to guy? Who am I friends with? Who am I associated with? That gave the Corinthians separation power in Corinth. But in the church, that doesn't matter. Paul's saying, what, what has all God got to do with anything? He goes, you see, he called them, you're being arrogant. The, the, the word pictures, you're being puffed up, you're being proud, you're getting full of yourself. So right here in verse 7, I want to just rattle, some, uh, fire, machine gun some of these uh, rhetorical questions off so you guys get the drift of how, where Paul's going. Verse 7, for who regards you as superior? Who thinks you're all that? <laughs> what do you have that you did not receive? Like, what do you have that you didn't actually get for free and if you did receive why do you boast as if you had not received why do you act like you're all that when everything was given to you corinthians right because you've been given so much you act like you actually earned it you actually act like you, you got your bootstraps and pulled yourself up no 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 god is paul saying through god i mean god god is saying through paul everything was given to you it's a grace every spiritual blessing that you have is from god you didn't earn it let me go to verse 8 here. You're already filled. You got everything you need. You act like you've already arrived. You already act like you're in the Hall of Fame, Corinthians. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign you. This is called sarcasm, friends. <laughs> Paul is dripping <laughs> with sarcasm. My wife calls me sarcastic sometimes, hopefully like Paul, not like in a bad way, but Paul is dripping with sarcasm right here. He's saying, you act like you arrived. It's like telling a rookie, oh, you're already in the Hall of Fame. You don't have to work hard. You're good, right? You can show yourself off like, a, like, you're, like you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Why do you act that way, Corinthians? Sarcasm, sarcasm. Very effective when used properly, might I add you, parents. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Everything is from God. Therefore, be humble. That's Paul's point. Like, you act like you've arrived. You act like you've done something. You've done nothing. Everything was given to you. Therefore, be humble. It's about God. So remember, it's about God's grace gifts in our life. How can we, any of us be arrogant knowing this truth? Going back to my old evaluation days, football is a pretty violent game. I don't know if you watch it at all, but it, it could be pretty violent. In some sense, some people call you know football players some modern-day gladiators. I mean, normally without coronavirus, stadiums are packed. All of Friday nights, Saturdays, and Sundays, and sometimes Monday night, it's just packed. Now Thursday night, I mean, it, it, it's all over our place, right? We love this game, right? It is America's game. One of the things that we look for is this. When this guy gets paid, will he still be hungry? This guy who had no money all his life, all of a sudden he gets his contract. When he gets paid, will he still be hungry? What do I mean by that? Will he still be willing to go through the pain of what it takes to play at that level? Will he be willing to suffer to take you to that level. Will he be able to do that? Christians can be similar. 
I mean, we've been given so many blessings. We've been told so many wonderful things that the Lord loves us, the Lord has gifted us with so many spiritual blessings. That could leave us comfortable. That could leave us comfortable, brothers and sisters. Comfort. So the fifth and final point I want to tell us about what God is looking for in the servants is this. That they know their calling. This is a hard one. This is an impossible one apart from the work of the Spirit to embrace. That we're called to suffer for Christ. We're called to suffer for Christ. This is not a good recruiting pitch, you know, when you're trying to recruit someone to come to you. You're going to suffer, man. You're going to suffer. But a Christian knows that he will suffer in particular, Christian leaders. Verse 9 here, for I, thank, I, for, I, for I think God has exhibited us, apostles last of all, as men condemned to die. Death sentence for Paul. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. These apostles were meant to be put on show, on display. For the whole angelic realm and the human realm to see. To be a spectacle to the world, a show even. I like what John MacArthur writes about this, and this is very helpful for me, so I'm going to read this to you. John MacArthur writes, When a Roman general won a major victory, it was celebrated by what was called a triumph, like a parade. The general would enter the city in great military splendor, leading his officers and troops behind. Those would come up, a group of prisoners in chains. With the conquered, with the conquered king and his officers prominently displayed for all to see and mock, they're going to mock these prisoners. The prisoners were under the sentence of death and would be taken to the arena to fight wild beasts. Gladiator games. That is a spectacle to what Paul refers. In the spiritual warfare he was fighting, he was considered to be that sort of captive, that sort of conquered prisoner, condemned to death. Good servants of God are like gladiators. Not so much in a glorious sense, you know, but these are the things that the gladiators had to do. Gladiators had to navigate through the applause. We love you. To also to the booze. We hate you. Gladiators were willing to fight to the death. Christians are called to fight the good fight, right? To the very end. Christians are willing to fight. Gladiators were willing to suffer. As Christians, are we willing to suffer for Christ? So as we pray for leadership of our church, you know, we're trying to hire a pastor of admin. We're praying and looking for elders to be obvious in our church. The leader... Leadership requires this type of mindset. 
You have to be willing to go out alone. You have to be willing to be unpopular. You have to be willing to shake up things. You have to be willing to take on old ways, which may, not, may or may not be popular. Some will applaud. Some will boo. This is life of a, of a leader. This is what this is about. This is the expectation. This is what was told to these pastoral candidates here. This is what it's going to be like. It's going to be a fight. Are you, are you up for this, brothers? Are you such a threat to the kingdom of darkness that the world opposes you fiercely? Think about that. Am I such a threat, whether you're a church leader or serving in the church, are you such a threat to the kingdom of darkness that... You face opposition at work. Are you facing some kind of a trial at work because you're just living with integrity? You're praying for people. People know that you're different. When you ask them, what did you do this Lord's Day, this Sunday? Oh, I went to church outside. We're worshiping outside. It was cold like Seattle, but we still worship. Are you saying these things at school? Are you saying that, no, the Bible is God's word? That this is how God created everything by his spoken word? If the answer is no, maybe we're not such a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Have you lost job opportunities for this? Have you lost friendships over this? Have you been judged and critiqued by others, including Christians, by how you live? This is how this works. Anyone who is actively involved in building the kingdom of God is going to face some level of opposition. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. It may not be to the level of Paul, but guaranteed there will be some level of opposition. Let me just read you what Paul experienced just so we can appreciate our apostle here. Verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent or wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. More sarcasm, right? You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, you know, without respect, and are homeless. Verse 12, and we toil, working with our own hands, so that the Corinthians, they need to support them financially, they built tents. When we are reviled, we bless. Reviled means talked harshly to. We bless. When we are persecuted, we endure, we hang in there, we persevere. When we are slandered, when people talk poorly about us, you know what we do? We try to conciliate, we, we, we speak kindly to them, right? This is all supernatural, by the way. I'm, I'm just saying this, you cannot do this on your own. None of this makes sense. Worldly wisdom, this is not compatible with worldly wisdom. Well, worldly wisdom says, take care of your own interests. Take care of numero uno, take care of me, myself, and I, right? That's worldly wisdom. This is not compatible with worldly wisdom, what the Corinthians were promoting some of them this is supernatural this is an act of the spirit of god sanctifying work of god in our lives look what it says we have become as a scum of the world that's like the stuff you know when you're cleaning the shower you know that that's that stuff that's build up it's scum scum of the world the dregs of all things even until now 
Scum and dregs, you know what that represented? Underrowers. It goes right back to that. That's where the scum and the filth resided, on the bottom of the ship. And the underrowers sat amongst that muck and just row, 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 row. Captain is saying to row, we row. But let me give you a word of encouragement, right? Let me give you a word of encouragement. What kind of encouragement is this, Pastor? My goodness, we've got to suffer like that? Well, we always look to Christ. We always look to Christ. Philippians chapter 2. Have this attitude, verse 5, in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul writes, same author. And who, although he existed in the form of God, Jesus is God in no unclear terms and did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself. He, he, he denied some of his divine privileges for a moment in time on earth. Now look at this word, taking the form of a bondservant. Doulos, taking the form of a slave. Christ, let's talk about our Lord. It's not talking about Paul anymore. It's talking about Christ, who took on the form of a slave and being made in the, in the likeness of man. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man. What did he do? What did he do, brothers and sisters, if you're reading along? He humbled himself. He lowered himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross, that's suffering. See, Christianity is a willingness to suffer. Christ was not forced to do any of this. Christ willingly took on human form. Christ willingly was mocked. Christ willingly went to the cross. As a Christian, this is the model that we have. This is the theology of the cross. This is the word of the cross. The word of the cross is suffering. Our Lord did the same thing. The Lord understands. And guess what? The Bible says, Lo, I am with you even to the end of it. God will give you the strength to do this and do it well. Doesn't mean you're going to like it, but you're going to do it well by God's grace. Let me read 2 Chronicles 16, 9 again. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, throughout the San Gabriel Valley, throughout everywhere this earth. That he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. What else do we need to hear? God is here to support us, to do his work. All he wants is a submitted heart. Is your heart for Christ? This is what he's looking for, brothers and sisters. Not talent, not execution, not experience, not smarts. Although if you have that, he'll use all of that. That's not the criteria. He's looking for a heart that's completely his. He's looking for under rowers like, who simply want to please him, the captain of the ship. Will God draft you into his service? Will God draft you into his service? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. Thank you for how clearly Paul makes what it means to be a servant of God. Thank you, Lord, 
for what you're doing in Evergreen SGB. We know, as you say, I will build my church upon this rock, upon the rock of who you are, the truth of who you are, upon these, the mysteries that Paul was stewarding, these treasures. You are building your church globally and at Evergreen SGV. Father, I pray, Lord, for elders to be raised up here at Evergreen SGV. Lord, bring your people to serve the people well, to pastor the people well, to protect the people well, to love the people well, to intercede for the people well. Men who will get into hard places, who will get into hard relationships, who will look to reconcile with other people, who will be a mediator like your son, Jesus Christ. Men who will be able to minister the word of God and to pray for others. Will you raise these men up, Lord? Men who have the qualifications of an elder, men who fit these qualifications, fit in, uh, talked about 1 Corinthians 4. Will you also raise up the workforce here at Evergreen SUV? Lord, we know every single part works to serve one another. Will you do this, Lord? Lord, I pray this word from 1 Corinthians 4 is encouraging. I thank you, Jesus that we could be humble because you've given us everything. I thank you, Jesus, that we could be considered slaves of you because you became a slave yourself, the God of the universe, the creator of all things. Thank you, Lord, that all we have to do is focus, be focused on being faithful to you, obedient to you, Lord, and to minister the gifts that you've given us to steward, Lord. Well done, good and faithful slave, Would that be the reward that we're looking to hear? That alone, Lord. Father, by your grace, will you teach us to suffer well? Will you do this? This is not a natural request. This is a supernatural request. By the power of your Holy Spirit, will you do this? Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. Thank you. You do love your church dearly. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.